Hey everybody, it's Peter here. I just wanted to note that I had some tech issues when we were recording and I ended up having to use our Zoom audio rather than my personal audio to record. It's really not bad, but next week we should have it back to normal here. The show was awesome, we hit it on a lot of different topics this week and the conversation flowed really well, so I hope you enjoy. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Hoops Corner. I'm your host, Peter Tran, and on the line, the Iceman himself, still in the doghouse. Josh Cohen, how you doing? Indeed, I'm still down here. Um, luckily, the Raptors didn't end up in the doghouse last night, even though they were very <laughs> close to uh, that situation, but uh, they were able to pull it out. So uh, I'm excited about the Raptors, potentially in the fifth seed, which we can talk about later, and, uh, you know, overall, a couple of weeks left in the season. Things are coming down to the wire right now in both conferences. Wow, what a nice, nice summer. Like, optimistic Raptors fans are great, man. Good for you guys. The banger in the paint, a residential medical expert. Rajan Walia, you know how you I'm feeling happy today? to have a roof over my head because Josh was telling everybody and their grandmother to bet their house on the Raptors uh, spanking the Celtics, and uh, they had to squeeze out a, a small victory over the depleted Celtics. Don't even get me started on that minus four line. Oh, my God. First of all, <laughs> the Celtics had... <laughs> it was ridiculous. The Raptors had two times more fouls than the Celtics, despite the Celtics playing, like, full-court press the entire game. And yet, somehow... Uh, the Raptors should have lost in regulation, honestly. Like, they got very lucky to actually pull that one in overtime and then win that game by three. But, yeah, that minus four line... The, the referees clearly had some money on it. Yeah, the foul calling in that game was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, but see, you said that they had half the number of fouls. Well, the Celtics also had half the number of starters that the Raptors did. And in a game that actually uh, means a lot for the Raptors, it means the difference about maybe getting in the play-in game or avoiding the play-in game. Uh, they weren't able to to really execute. And like you said, they got lucky. Um, and hey, maybe this Raptors team isn't as good as we thought, and maybe they, they're they a gritty team, but they're not going to be able to spank any teams. Oh, well, like, let's hold on. In the Raptors' defense, they were going up against a massive lineup of Marcus Smart, Grant Williams, and Derek White. You know, it's, ooh, scary stuff, you know? Yeah. The East is elite. This is the one disadvantage of being a lower seed in the Eastern Conference is you sort of have to play your guys. And right now, I would say at least... Three of the guys in the Raptors rotation, if not more, have really debilitating injuries that they're forced to play through. Like OG should probably not be playing with his, you know, injured finger, broken finger. Fred Van Vliet's playing on one leg, and Gary Trent, his entire body is broken. So it's oh, not good right now. <laughs> wow, I forgot how much of a homer you could really be when it comes to the Raptors. I've never yeah. seen such defense. My God, you're defending like the Boston Celtics. <laughs> Woo. No, if that was the case, I'd be fouling you right yeah, now. Yeah, but no one's going to call you You out are on. fouling me. <laughs> yeah, you're fouling me with these fake injuries. Oh, OG's finger hurts. Oh, no. Yeah, and Come on, man. Yeah, I think we're getting to the point. Don't make me come over there. <laughs> I think we're getting to the point in the season where Josh is kind of optimistic about the Raptors. But instead of sharing that optimism, he has to kind of shit on them and set the expectations really low so that when they do inevitably have a good game or two he's gonna be like i told you so bet the house and then well you'll find me uh near the mission in ottawa or somewhere uh homeless 
If I'm going to bet on something, I'm going to bet on them winning two games in the playoffs. <laughs> That's going to be their max right there. And I'm going to enjoy every second of it. Two games. I wonder if fans will actually be there for these games. Knowing this, the Raptors crowd, man, like something might happen. They might blow it in the speaker, have to evacuate everybody. Yeah, there should be a betting line on what happens next between, you know, COVID and speakers blowing up. wonder what's going to be next. Is the Raptor going to, like, do something really stupid and cause everyone to evacuate? <laughs> the Raptor mascot himself is going to set it off. But I want to I want to move on, guys. Uh, can we talk about this insane Robert Williams III injury? Um, he was diagnosed with a torn meniscus. Um, Raj, correct me if I'm wrong, but that means like at least a few weeks, right? If not longer for surgery. Well, I, that, that's the big issue. If he's going to have surgery and it really does depend on the type of tear and um, how much of an injury he's had before, because uh, he has had his fair share of uh, injuries, whether it's knees, ankles. Um, but yeah, if he has surgery, it's a minimum four weeks. I think uh, after the surgery and it would be four to six weeks if he decides to rehab it. Um, we're looking at anywhere between three and six weeks. And again, these things can get sour and uh, take more time. So I, from what I'm hearing uh, on NBA Reddit, uh, he hasn't had the surgery yet. So I think they're going to look to rehab the injury and see how that goes. And again, um, maybe they're going to decide to have surgery in the offseason and hope he comes back maybe in the beginning of the second round um, if the Celtics have a long first round series. And it's going to be tough for, you know, the the best team, like the best defensive team. Obviously, he's a major anchor. The best team since the calendar year flipped over. And like, basically, just as the Celtics were being lauded as, you know, the one of the main contenders in the East, right? They made their way to the first seed before losing to Toronto, obviously. But, you know, they were rolling. You had guys like Tatum and Brown who were finally sort of just started like Tatum's just been on a tear. Marcus Smart has learned how to be a point guard, like a pass first point guard, which his team hasn't had. And I honestly, I don't even know the last time that this Boston team had a pass first point guard. It's been at least five, seven years. Like I, since Terry Rozier before Terry Rozier, I have, I really have no idea. I'm blanking on this, but I think the whole point is that we don't really know where the Celtics stand right now. Right, Josh? I mean, they could go into the first round as a second or third seed at this point, but can they contend with the Raptors without Robert Williams? Can they beat on the Nets without Robert Williams? Who knows, right? Yeah, I mean, he is the core of their defense. He is everything they funnel towards with him playing the wing and just, you know, affecting every single shot in the paint. Um, now Horford's probably gonna have to play that role. I'm guessing Grant Williams is gonna become, gonna, sorry, I can't even speak right now, gonna become the nominal center, um, in this lineup. He's gonna be the guy that's gonna be guarding, maybe not Joel Embiid, but everyone else in the Eastern Conference. And then Horford, I guess, will play the rover, um, just like, um, you know, he was doing before. And it, it really depends on how, how much Horford can play. And what kind of level he's at? Because they're arresting him right now. Like, they said he was out last game with personal reasons. Maybe he's not vaccinated, didn't want to come to Toronto. Who knows? Mm. That might be a potential storyline <laughs> in the future. That's what I'm talking about. Um, That's what I'm talking about. But yeah, in terms about. of Robert Williams, like, I don't think he's going to come back this year. 
And I mean, especially if they don't make it out of the first round, obviously he's not going to, but would you really risk it unless I guess they're in the conference finals? And even then, is it really worth it for his long-term outlook? Because as Raj was mentioning, it depends what type of surgery you get. Because certain guys get a specific type of surgery on the meniscus and they just don't come back the same because they come back early and then a few years later on, it just, I don't know, their career just is not the same afterward. I think Dwayne Way went through that, right? So guys who have taken a long view like Jaron Jackson, um, they might have to sit out the course of most of a season, but afterwards they might have longevity and be able to play multiple years in a row without that injury becoming, um, you know, a lingering issue. Even, okay, so say you have Horford as your rover. Generally, with this kind of position, you have, like, really athletic bigs, right? Obviously, we know Robert Williams, but the major example of this for the past, like, year and a half has been Giannis. Giannis as, like, a primary defender on a ball, on, like, the ball? He's good. Obviously, he's super athletic and a beast. But last year when my when Milwaukee won, it was because he was a rover. It was because he was able to provide, you know, weak side defense. And then that the offense wasn't really expecting, didn't really know where when or where it was going to come from. I don't think Horford is that athletic enough to be able to jump on those things. You know what I mean? Like, that's one of the keys that Robert Williams had was that he could just like fly out of the building, basically. The player that probably will play a bit more of that role is Daniel Tice. Um, he's had continuity with the Celtics, obviously, uh, last year they ended up trading him and he ended up back on the roster a full year later. Uh, he's a bit more mobile than Al Horford. Um, and I, I think overall as a matchup, um, he can do something similar as the Time Lord, but, uh, overall, I think it's going to be a combination of both depending on the matchup, but I think Daniel Tice is going to end up playing 20 to 25 minutes a game. Um, going forward, probably closer to 25. Um, just because he has continuity with most of those, most of those players, um, and he gives you that defensive flexibility that Celtics need, because as we saw last night, they play kind of hounding defense, they play an aggressive style, and if they end up in foul trouble, they're going to need to rely on Tice and Horford, both of them. Yeah, they now have three problems. The first one is the depth issue, right? Because they're only really only playing like seven guys, maybe eight in general, and now they're down one guy, which puts a potential bad or average player into the rotation come playoff time. And then if another guy gets injured, they're totally screwed, right? The other issue is, um, you know, on defense, you don't have that guy that's going to be able to block shots anymore, as we talked about. But they're going to have to really rely on their switching defense and hope that it holds up when teams are just going to hunt Al Horford, because they know if they get by him, there's no shot blocker in the paint anymore. Same with Tice, too. And I don't think Tice is ready to play 20 to 25 minutes. He played all right last night. He knows their system and everything. But, you know, in the playoffs a couple years ago when he was going against Bam, he just got destroyed. And then, you know, offensively, which is something we haven't talked about yet, Robert Williams um, was an aerial player, right? He's the guy that catches alley-oops. He was a threat on the roll, which gave guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown space because the big men didn't want to come up too hard. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there's going to be a lob to the rim, and they don't have that guy anymore. Because Tice, he can do that at times, but he's not really a threat doing that. And Horford's 34 years old. He's not going to be doing that anymore. And Grant Williams can't jump. So, (laughs) 
they're gonna have to really rely on variants, you know, going forward. <laughs> and uh, you know, they're gonna a big booty, a man. and hope that Horford and Williams can hit enough of them to keep them in games against the elite. Yeah, that means a lot of swing passes that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have to do. You know, things that were an issue earlier in the year. Obviously, they've gotten better, and there's a reason that the Celtics have basically skyrocketed from a 500 team to close to 20 games over, right? Like, first, it, like, what? Right now, they are in tied for second in the East. So those first four spots in the East are pretty much up in the air between Miami, Philly, Milwaukee, and Boston. I mean, it could go either way. It could end up as like Boston, Toronto at the four or five, right? Like we could easily see that. And then who knows why, or who knows if, you know, if Josh, your theory is correct about Al Horford being able to play in Toronto or having a, you know, a vaccination status. A lot of issues come into, come into play when these guys have to travel to Toronto. It's convenient during the year that, you know, they don't have to go as often or, you know, it's, it's easy to just bypass those things. But when Toronto or when you have to go to Toronto for two consecutive games, potentially a third game, it becomes a real issue. If, if there's a player that's unvaccinated on any roster, right? So I don't know, man, this Robert Williams injury could uh, really diminish Boston's chances this year. Yeah. Like one interesting note on the vaccination status that I heard was uh, Josh Richardson was not vaccinated. So I think that's another reason why they ended up trading him for a guy that is vaccinated, Derek White, just in case they have to go north of the border. You actually have another rotation player you can use versus Richardson, who would have had to conveniently sit out games. And then we'd be wondering, like, well, why is this guy sitting? And then, of course, after game one, it would come out. So, I mean, I mean, we're going to see potentially, um, depending on who the Raptors play, that situation happen and be like, oh, didn't know that player was vac- unvaccinated. Huh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, we can we can squash the Al Horford not vaccinated talk. He played uh, in November 28th against the Raptors in Toronto. So oh, there you go. he had to come to Toronto vaccinated. Well, then. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Should have spoke up earlier. No, no, man. That's why we need you here. We need someone to <laughs> fact check us because clearly Josh and I are just talking shit. <laughs> Did Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown play in that game? <laughs> Please. <laughs> Jason Tatum, the guy who's like battled COVID, I think twice and complained about how he couldn't breathe for the first like month afterwards. I think it's safe to assume that he's vaccinated. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe him and Kyrie are best friends. You don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you ask Bill Simmons, they were for the past couple of years, and that's why the Celtics kept losing. <laughs> hmm. That's for and both, day. Yeah, the Celtics, I think, are going to be in trouble going forward, depending on who they get in the first round, because I think the biggest issue, again, is just, like, not having enough guys um, come playoff time and having to overplay these guys and potentially risk injury. And, you know, scoring was already an issue for them. So when you're taking another guy off your roster and having to play Peyton Pritchard in the playoffs now or Aaron <laughs> Neesmith, it's going to become a problem eventually when you play the higher-level teams. Yeah, Neesmith was nice yesterday, right, Rush? So I saw some buckets raining. Yeah, it's uh, he was showing uh, the Celtics what he's got for the playoffs, you know. But I, I, I think their depth is going to be an issue. But again, they still have seven guys that are good quality players. And seven is on the lower end. Eight would be ideal. But they have to play with what they have. They have Grant Williams, Derek White, Marcus Smart, Daniel Tice, Brown, and Tatum. 
Like that's seven. So oh, and Horford. Horford. So, yeah. Yeah, that's seven. Well, actually, that's eight then. Yeah. And then worst case, you may Udoka can just uh, lace him up. Mm-hmm. He still looks like he's, he's in a great good player shape. back in the day. Yeah, he looks like he's in great shape, man. Looks like he could body somebody out there. Speaking of trying to body people, you like that? You like that transition, guys? <laughs> nice transition. Jimmy Butler has apparently tried to fight coach Eric Spolstra on the bench. Or so we've gathered through these random fan videos of the Heat bench. Um, I mean, obviously, it was great to watch. Everybody loves seeing turmoil on any team's bench, unless it's your own team, obviously. But it's fun to watch, right? Like, it's fun to see P.J. Tucker picking stuff up off the floor. It's fun to see Kyle Lowry calling a tech or a timeout on his own players. Not really sure what was happening there. But I think the bigger question at hand is, are we coming near to the end of Jimmy Butler's stay in Miami? Like, is he... Is Jimmy Butler the asshole rubbing everyone the wrong way there? Or is this just, you know, guys getting heated, blah, blah, blah. It'll be fine. Kumbaya, heat culture per, uh, prevails through all of this, Raj. Where, what do you think here? Yeah, see, kind of one of those sayings. It's like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Uh, I think Jimmy Butler's rep, it can't be all situational if it's happened to like, what, three, four teams already? Um, he's kind of had this bad attitude or this cloud of bad attitude around him. And eventually it's going to show its face in Miami. And it did in that altercation. And I think this will stay. I think there will be question marks about a, his health and his ability to stay on the court and play 82 games. And uh, more importantly, his ability to gel, um, with the team. Clearly he's the leader of the team, uh, emotionally, but uh, if he's not listening to the coach, if he's undermining Eric Spolstra, who honestly could be a coach of the year candidate most years and he's been a coach, um, I, I think there's something bigger to be said. The, the biggest problem for the Heat is where will he go and will they be able to trade him for anything? Um, I, I, I think they possibly could, but I don't know where else he would go. And I, I could see them glossing over this fact going into next season with Jimmy Butler. But I think if there's a bigger fish to be had, they have no problem trading him. See, I don't see where this conversation is even starting with trading him. I, I don't really understand this, to be honest. This probably happens all the time in different locker rooms and different teams. This is just masking the bigger issue with this team because this has become like sports radio talk with this team now where it just... Oh my God, look at Spolstra, he threw his clipboard and he's talking about fighting Jimmy Butler. And it's nothing. They have a bigger problem, which is on the court, which honestly the NBA product gets too far away from with the social media age and that people don't want to actually talk about the play on the court. They want to talk about all the BS around it. This is nothing. What happened was complete nothing. It was a nothing (laughs) burger. Their biggest issue is they can't score in the fourth quarter. And nobody talks about that. I watched the Knicks game, or the fourth quarter of the Knicks game anyway, and Emmanuel quickly is going crazy on them. Quentin Grimes is hitting shots. And they came down <laughs> the court, and they were shooting the ball with like 18 on the shot clock. Like even Kyle Lowry was taking crazy <laughs> shots, pull-up threes. And it was just weird to watch. Like, they had no composure. You would think a team with, you know, both Jimmy Butler and Lowry would be able to bring the ball down the court and run a real set. And they're just playing random offense, and... 
They're one of the worst crunch time teams in the NBA. That's their problem. Hold on. Love. Are you saying that Kyle Lowry pulling up for a three early in the shot clock is weird? Because Lowry, Lowry loves doing that. What are you talking about? No, in the half court. So they brought that ball down a couple times, and he got a switch against a big guy. And instead of like you know giving Jimmy Butler the ball in the post against a small guy off the switch or just running a play, he was like going one-on-one against uh, – it was Taj Gibson or Sims. <laughs> I think it was Sims, actually. And Sims was guarding him well. Like, he was up on him, yeah. and he blocked him twice in a row. And you'd think after the first time, you'd be like, all right. I guess his ego got the best of him, and he tried it again, and it did not work out well for him. He shot an air ball, and then he got blocked the other time. So <laughs> it was not Kyle Lowry basketball. It was just weird to watch. <laughs> yeah, Raj, make sure you get off Josh's lawn next time you're there, okay? Yeah, yeah, I see. Josh, Josh, does, <laughs> Josh doesn't want to hear anything except for X's and O's. Yeah, and I, I've I've heard enough of nothing from Josh in that one sentence. Um, but I I think obviously the Heat have a problem on the court as well. This whole argument on off the court happened because they weren't performing well. They were losing to a depleted Warriors team, um, and ultimately I think their issue is they relied too much on the three. And like I guess in today's NBA, like you have to shoot a large percentage of your shots as three. But I think the Heat like kind of over rely on it. A lot of their secondary scoring uh, solely comes from the three point line, and you're gonna have nights where you're not hit uh, three balls not going in, or you'll have stretches where as a team you're normally shooting 35, 36 percent, and there'll be a period where you're shooting 25, and that's the difference between winning the game and losing the game. And I think in the playoffs, getting open looks is gonna be tougher. I think the Heat are gonna run into some problems, and uh, if Tyler Hero is the solution to uh, giving your secondary scoring that's not three-point shooting, I think there's issues. Because again, he's stepped it up this year, but you need another player, another person who can create, put other players in a a different position to create. They should be able to have some easier looks at the basket. Because I I think whenever I've seen the Heat play, like they're shooting a shit ton of threes. I think they're probably one of the largest three-point shooting teams by volume. Yeah, and the bigger problem is, like, Tyler Hero is not the secondary ball handler in crunch time. He is the ball handler in crunch time. Like, he's the one that's handling the ball and trying to make plays off the dribble. And he's just not at that level. And you would think that'd be Jimmy Butler, but he's one of the worst clutch time players in the NBA, not only this year, but in the past couple of years. So, you know, you think that adding Kyle Lowry would help that, but he's 34, 35 years old. So then you turn to Bam, who's a big guy who you need to get the ball to. He's not the guy that's going to like you know get the ball at the top of the key and make a play. You need to get the, him the ball on the go. And they just haven't figured that part out because most teams switch late in games and they just don't have a guy that can take advantage of those mismatches right now because Butler's just not that guy, which is weird to say you know, based on all the stats that he puts up, him taking the finals in the bubble year. But it's one of the most under-talked-about things in the NBA is that he's just not a good fourth-quarter player. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I remember a lot of people saying Kobe was statistically a bad fourth-quarter player as well. I don't know uh, if we're going to judge Jimmy Butler's clutch performance on, like, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes the eye test is correct is all I'm trying to say. I wouldn't say he's the, like he's a bad fourth-quarter player or, like, a... This year he player. has been. He's been one of the worst in the NBA this year. In the last couple of years, he hasn't been that great statistically either. But 
This year he's like all time bad. He's only played 50 games this year, 53. Right? Like, okay, listen to this. Jimmy Butler's played 53 games. Bam Adebayo has played 51. Kyle Lowry has played 59. That's three out of your five starters, right? And then Duncan Robinson played 73. He's the most durable by far, but Duncan Robinson's easily looked like a shell of himself since he got paid. And again, we already talked about Tyler Hero being apparently the best half-court scorer on the team. I think like a major part of this issue is just that they have no continuity, right? Like you're bringing in a, a brand new point guard who is obviously ball dominant. Like I wouldn't say Lowry is not a ball dominant guy, but to put that in with Butler and with Bam, two guys that can create for themselves and for other for their teammates, and considering that all three guys haven't really played much, it makes sense that this team is struggling a bit, right? Like I I wouldn't say that. It's, I don't know. I don't know how to say this, but I like, I understand why they're struggling. It's obviously a cause for concern, especially coming to playoffs because they have so little scoring. But that's what you're going to get with three of your major players playing less than 60 games so far. Yeah. And, and I, I think the continuity is huge. And uh, I, I think, like, kind of going back to one of the points as well. That team has enough veteran leadership. This is not an inexperienced team. This is not uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves and Jimmy Butler. Um, this team has P.J. Tucker, Haslam. Uh, obviously, Eric Spolstra has been there for many years. Like They have a lot of leadership in and around. Oh, Kyle Lowry. Like They have a lot of leadership. And the fact that Butler was kind of had his outburst and they had that incident, Like it just shows how frustrated they are as a team and this is a team that went to the conference sorry the NBA finals two years ago and then last year they got destroyed by Milwaukee um and I think if this year they're not able to rectify things in the next what eight games nine games of the not even seven eight games in the regular season like they're going into the playoffs limping and when those when the intensity rises and you have a player like Jimmy Butler who's had an outburst, who's had issues with teammates before, who when things aren't going well, he's gonna like maybe act as an impediment and not a um, someone who's gonna help solve the problems. I think this team could go up for a big blow up. Uh, but again, their problem on the court is they don't have the continuity like Peter mentioned. Uh, they rely way too much on the three. Um, even though I just looked up the stats while we were talking, they're probably in the middle of the pack. I think they're 11th or 12th in terms of three points, three point attempts per game. Um, and they can't score. So we'll see what happens with this Miami Heat team. But a month ago, we were like, this team might be the team to beat. And uh, now it doesn't look like that. Yeah, because a month ago is based on a hypothetical of, you know, all these guys haven't played together enough. And now we're seeing them on the court together and they're like, you know, maybe the chemistry is just not there. And can you gain that in the next eight games of the regular they have, they have season before the playoffs start? Six games left. Or six games. That's even worse. Yeah. So, you know, you know, with Boston, you know, losing one of their guys, at least they still have, like, Jason Tatum to rely on at crunch time. And then Jalen Brown as a backup. With Miami, who knows, right? Like, you hope that they can get it together and maybe figure it out in the first round against an easy matchup if they can get the one or two seed and avoid Brooklyn. Or maybe they just need a team like Brooklyn to play in the first round so they can get their crap together, you know? I'm uh, I'm expecting to see a lot of Victor Oladipo coming in during clutch time. <laughs> and replacing whom? I don't know. 
Robinson, I guess. <laughs> I actually have no idea. I'm just talking trash. But uh, yeah, Duncan Robinson will not be playing down the stretch for sure. That's all yeah. I can say. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the least talk about things is that Oladipo has taken over minutes from guys like Struess and uh, Gabe Vincent, who were both playing really well during that period of time where all those guys were out and they were winning games. And Oladipo hasn't been that good so far. So do you keep force-feeding him minutes in the playoffs or do you go, go with the guys that were, you know, that sort of got you there? Yeah. Um, okay, so looking at the standings right now, Miami's in one. Let's go with the last few teams in the East. And you guys just tell me if you think Miami would win a series against these teams. The Bulls? Yes. Yeah. Toronto? Yeah. I think it would go seven games, honestly. Like it's they play a similar style, and I think it would be a total grinder series with both teams like averaging like ninety-two points per game. <laughs> yeah. So I I mean they would have home court advantage. So I guess probably. Yeah, I would give them the edge mainly because they are they have home court advantage and the NBA wants Miami to progress. Wow. Wow. Call it again over here. Cleveland? Yes. Especially without Jared Allen. Big loss. And Brooklyn. He might come back, though. Yeah, we'll see. Brooklyn? Mm, No. Yeah, I think Kyrie's. Kyrie being able to play all the games is big. (laughs) So out of the final uh, four teams in the East, we just think that Brooklyn is going to be able to beat Miami. In a long series. And maybe Toronto, if everything goes well. Yeah. And this is also assuming that Chicago doesn't have Lonzo back. Chicago also low-key, free-falling. Really hard in the last couple of weeks. It's rough. Um. So next, I have on the rundown, if we want to talk about Devin Booker's candidacy for MVP. Do we really want to talk about that? Best player on the best team kind of? Kind of argument, no. or should we just bypass this? Because it's, I think it's a little no. overplayed. This is an outlier year where you have three guys who are having historic seasons. And in a lot of years, Devin Booker would have been the MVP back in the years where the NBA didn't have this much talent, but we do now. So he's fourth or fifth. And is this, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. And one other thing with Devin Booker, he is having a great year, but he's also on the best team. Like, uh, like overall, this team is deep. We talked about how many good players they have. Uh, they are playing without Chris Paul, and Devin Booker's like really carried that load and has been able to maintain their success. But I expect if Devin Booker was out and Chris Paul was running the show, I still think they would have quite a few wins, maybe not as many. But um, the argument can be made that their team is so deep that they could have suffered an injury to one of their top two guys and still been able to play well. The same can't be said about the three other players that are being considered. Is this just uh, NBA <laughs> media, Twitter, whatever, whoever is making these uh, claims about Booker? Is this just uh, xenophobia coming out here? Not wanting to give love to any of the three foreign MVP candidates in, MV- in Embiid, Giannis, and Nikola Jokic? Just putting it out there, you know. I think people just want to give Devin Booker his flowers because he hasn't been cursed by the Kardashians. He's been the only one that's been able to survive it. And, uh, you know, after he had that 49-point game, I think, against, uh, was it Philadelphia? I don't know, one of the teams, one of the higher-level teams. Mm-hmm. He had a really good week the last week. And, uh, you know, 
it does make sense that he should be in the conversation, but not against those three, um, you know, heavyweights. Yeah, yeah, maybe like fourth or fifth. Definitely up there. Um, I think also people don't like to see big men win. Like it's it's very it's it's more attractive for the casual NBA fan to watch a guard or a wing player win it than a seven foot center. Like their their style is just a little easier on the eye for the casual fan and they're going to try to replicate it and they can, they love seeing three point shots. Like no one cares to see Giannis tearing down the, the paint and like slamming it or Jokic with his passes or Embiid going to the foul line. Like that's still part of the game, but it's not as fun to watch. That's because young fans are stupid. Who wouldn't want to watch that? The game is funner when it's going downhill to the basket. Who doesn't want to watch Embiid go to the line 20 times a game? Josh. Except for Embiid's nonsense. You take Embiid's nonsense out of it, the other oh. two are totally fine. Oh my god, Embiid, man. Getting the same kind of cause that we wanted Shaq to get all those years in LA. My goodness. Except Shaq didn't flop like Embiid does. No, Shaq just powered through guys. And still did not. Can you imagine if Shaq was doing like swing throughs on guys like a beat does? (laughs) How many fouls he would get? But you know what the difference is? Shaq never wanted to shoot free throws. Exactly. It's like it's like (laughs) slowing down his momentum by shooting free throws. It's not free points for Shaq, it's hard work. Right? And potential embarrassment. Exactly. He had to focus on those just to shoot 55%. Come on, man. And Embiid shoots like 80-something percent from the line. Of course he's going to take these free buckets. Sad. Yeah. If only, uh, if only Shaq shot underhand, like Rick Barry told him. <laughs> man, talk about a, an angry old man, Rick Barry. Wow. Uh, speaking of angry old guys, I'm changing the rundown, guys. LeBron James and the LA Lakers. I think you're right, Josh. They may not make the – not even just make the playoffs. They might not make the play-in tournament. Holy. Give me my flowers. Wow. Give me my flowers. No, no. I deserve MVP consideration. No, thank you. No, thank you. Not unless you're <laughs> with the Kardashians will you get any flowers. <laughs> hey, you know what? Then I'd be cursed for sure. We were talking about <laughs> Shaq not too long ago. If I think, if I remember correctly, Shaq said that they were going to make the playoffs and then beat the Phoenix Suns in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> He's just trying to be a hot take artist. He said if they make the playoffs... And they play Phoenix in the first round. They're going to beat the Suns. And it's complete nonsense. <laughs> I actually hope that happens now. Because not only Shaq saying this, but Anthony Davis' angle a few weeks ago. Saying that they know what, what would have happened if he actually played in all those games. Not acting like Chris Paul only had one arm during that series too. Like Phoenix is going to mop the floor with them if they play in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, yeah, this Lakers team is just awful. Also, like, screw Anthony Davis, man. Talk about an overhyped player. Jesus Christ. I'm so tired of listening to this about this guy, theorizing what he could be if he was ever healthy. I'm done, man. I'm tired of it. Like, I, I hate it. It's probably because he's on the Lakers and they get so much more love than everyone else. But it gets really annoying hearing about how good Anthony Davis could be if he were healthy all of the time, like every year, over and over <sighs> and over. It's so brutal. I mean, the only way this can end... Um, just so the Lakers fans get even more pissed about how this uh, whole season has gone, is that Davis comes back either tonight or the game from now, and then maybe one game before the regular season gets hurt again. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Lakers make the play-in and have to play with either just LeBron or without LeBron, and then they don't make it. 
That would be perfect. But one guy we should talk about in LA that is coming back tonight. Hold on, hold on. Paul George. Hold on, hold on. Just before you go, like, I do want to talk about Paul George. But firstly, if the Lakers make the play-in tournament, I guarantee you LeBron will not play in that game because it will not count towards any playoff or regular season stats. Watch. Oh, and, and to take it up one step further, LeBron wants to maintain his perfect record in the first round before last year. Like, last year they got... No, last year... No, nah, it's over. What are we even talking about? He played the play-in last year, didn't he? No, yeah, but last year he thought that they could actually do damage because Anthony Davis wasn't hurt yet. Okay, you're just adding all these variables to it now. No, first, no, he doesn't want to mess what? up his first-round status, but even though he lost last I don't year, care about... And he played the play-in last no, year. No, no, what are you guys talking about? No, no, no. I don't care about first-round status. My whole point is that LeBron's year this year, the 21-22 season, is based purely on him padding his own stats. The play-in tournament doesn't count towards your regular season or playoff stats, right? So why would LeBron bother playing in it? <laughs> why would he play this extra he game? To make the playoffs? Yeah, to get into the playoffs. And do what? Lose? Well, he'll get... No, but he'll pad his stats in the playoffs. He doesn't, exactly. he doesn't need the playoffs. making your own point He doesn't here. need the playoff stats, though, because he's already got all-time scoring. Yeah, but he wants to continue that so he gets no. to a certain peak to where nobody can ever catch no, him. No, 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 he doesn't. I don't think he cares about that part. I, I think he just wants the regular season oh. scoring title now. You don't think he wants the playoff records and it to be like totally unobtainable where you talk about it as if like, oh yeah, look, no one's ever going to catch LeBron in playoff No, because if that were the... Of course he wants that. No, if that were the case, he would go after Will Tundra like every game. <laughs> what you... I mean, he might in the playoffs this year if he actually makes it yeah. because he's going to have nobody <laughs> imagine, imagine going after the, like, the, after the single game scoring title in the playoffs. <laughs> They're like playing three... <laughs> He Three would people probably on break him. himself doing that. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Look this. At, all-time scoring in the playoffs. Look, look, while he you're already doing has that, it. Yeah, he has it, man. He's a no. But the point is, he wants to make it completely unobtainable for anybody jo- who's to come. Josh, listen. To reach that. Point. Do you know how far ahead he is? He has seven thousand six hundred thirty-one points in the playoffs. The second person, the the actual goat, Michael Jordan. Has 5,987. LeBron's already like 300 points ahead. About three. I think he's good. Yeah, but you're not going to think of that record as if you're going to think about other records that have happened. Like, for example, the assist record, um, the 100-point game. Sorry. That that record is obtainable if, it's like, say, for example, you take out the college one-year rule, and another guy comes in at 18 years old, plays his entire career, doesn't get injured, it's a possibility to it's, catch that record. It's not, because then you'd have to go to the finals every year for eight consecutive years. You'd have to play in a bunch of game sevens that LeBron definitely played in. LeBron's playoff record is not getting touched. Yeah, but the point is, like, he wants to make the playoffs. Come on. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think he cares. I think he's like, oh, I'll take the extra day and, like, go film something. I'm going to go film another commercial. <laughs> you think he's at that part of his career? Yes, close 100%. To. Yeah, he's going to go film an episode of The Shop. Yeah. Come on, the, man. The poetic thing about the Lakers' upcoming games is they do end up playing the Suns. I think um, their fourth last game, they play the Suns. Uh, and they do play the Nuggets twice uh, in their last, I think, six or seven games. So, hey, the Nuggets could... Uh, Peter, you can play your part in knocking the Lakers out of the play-in tournament. It doesn't even matter if they make it there because LeBron's not going to play. <laughs> Don't die on this hill. 
Nah, man, he's not gonna play. I mean, one thing counteracts the other, though, right? Like, if he doesn't play in the next few games, they're not making it regardless. No, he's gonna play. Come on, man, he has to catch Kareem. <laughs> I mean, according to LeBron, his ankle got really, really sore Ooh, last game. My ankle so. hurts. I'm LeBron. Oh, I've never lied to the media before. Come on, get out of here. All right, enough of LeBron yeah, talk. Go, You're angering me. Let's, let's, I don't like. I don't like defending LeBron. Let's talk about Paul George, someone who might actually play for the rest of the in the playoffs this year. Someone who might actually play. Paul George has been out since December, forever. Yeah, he's missed most of this year. If you've held on to Paul George on your fantasy team, I applaud you. And if you're in the playoffs, obviously. Yeah, well- Cause uh, way to go, Kevin. <laughs> Paul George has been out for a damn long time, man. But he's finally coming back, and I think the Clippers can really use his help. They've lost their last five. They're two and eight in their last ten. I mean, they're still in eighth place, and they're not going to give up eighth, eighth to the Pelicans or the Lakers. So that's not really in contention. But if Paul George comes back, or can we expect Kawhi to come back? I mean, it's, it'll be a year since his injury, right? Raj, is there any chance of this? Are we, yeah. are we just There's being always, too optimistic right now? There's always a chance. Uh, will it happen? No. I think, um, the, like, what is the, there to gain for the Clippers? Um, they're, if Ka- a championship. Uh, that, that is something to gain. Peter's almost there choking on his coffee. <laughs> yeah, but That was good. <laughs> but are the Clippers with a... Let's say partially returned Paul George and a new returning in Kawhi going to be able to push the Grizzlies or the Suns? Probably not. Uh, if they're fully healthy, eh. definitely can. But again, they're going to try to make the playoffs. They're going to see how Paul George does. They're going to probably not limit his minutes, but they're going to ease him back into uh, the regular season, the last six, seven games. And um, and then if things are going well and maybe they're in the second round or if they have a huge upset over the Suns or the Grizzlies, depending on who they play, then yeah, maybe Kawhi comes back. But I really don't see it happening. I think they're really going to gear up for next year. Uh, they have a bunch of wing players. They have some very good assets. They have a owner that is going to pay the big bucks. So I think next year is their year. I think this year is to get a few guys a bit more reps and... Uh, get Paul George back into the swing of things before the offseason. Yeah, this is one of two scenarios. Either they've been pulling the wool over everyone's eyes, sort of like in the usual suspects with Verbal Kent being Kaiser Soze, and, you know, Kawhi Leonard just being healthy the last month or so and him just revving up right now to play in the playoffs and him essentially, you know, getting in the playoffs completely healthy 100% coming in with Paul George and them just running through the NBA or they're just using Paul George back in just so, you know, he's finally healthy, get him some reps in the playoffs. They probably beat Minnesota in the playing game, right? So then they're probably playing the Grizzlies. Yeah. And I don't know if they really want to put Paul George through that because the Grizzlies are going to smack them if that happens. I think they have a better chance against the Suns, to be honest, in terms of play style. But um, yeah, I don't think that Kawhi is coming back. I think that it's great that Paul George is coming back, so they have some something to look forward to. Um, but next year, like we say with the Clippers every year, is going to be the year where they have to do something, they have to stay healthy, and they have to win the championship, or else that trade was a complete and colossal disaster. 
I mean, they got some good marketing out of it. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They had their <laughs> moment for a couple of days. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you, you talked about them real quick there, but I just want to finish up this before we hit Stats Corner. The Memphis Grizzlies are without John Morant for two weeks, and they continue to win somehow. This year, they are 18-2 and two without John Morant. I, I don't want to be hot takey, so I'm not going to ask you if the Grizzlies are better without John Morant, because that's obviously dumb. But... Uh, huh? How do I say? Just that? ask the question. Just ask us. No, 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 man. How how healthy do we need Jaw to be in the playoffs for the Grizzlies to advance? Because you need a guy like Jaw, right? You need someone who can get their own bucket, someone who can facilitate, and honestly, someone who's explosive like that. He's not just someone who can get his own bucket, right? But he's the kind of guy that can slash down the lane and semi shoot. Like Jaw's got a decent jump shot this year. He, he adds like a, another level of a threat that you're not going to get out of guys like Tyus Jones or DeAnthony Melton, who have been his backups. Yeah, I mean, if you go through their schedule in their 17-2 and two or 18-2 and two run without John Morant, they've played a lot of teams that don't have their top one or two guys or even three guys. And they've had some good wins, too, against Milwaukee. I mean, they only had one guy out that game, but Giannis did play in that game, obviously. Them beating Golden State without Curry. I mean, Thompson played, I believe. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've had a lot of wins like that where they've beaten good teams that don't exactly have their full roster, which is basically every team this year. Yep. But come playoff time, things change, obviously, and you can't rely on guys like Tyus Jones and DeAnthony Melton to lead your offense and, you know, run a ton of pick and rolls and get anything out of it. So he needs to be healthy come playoff time. Even if they play a team like Minnesota, because um, Minnesota does have a lot of scoring prowess, and if Memphis goes into these ruts where their fast game, where they're turning people over and getting a lot of offensive rebounds isn't working in a couple of those games, they're not going to be able to score enough points against a team like Minnesota in order to, you know, win these games. So he needs to be back and healthy come game one. Yeah, they, they need him. Like, that's the simple answer. Um, they need him. They'll need him especially in the fourth quarter or in tight games. And I think them doing well without Jaw is just speaking to their depth, their experience, and getting a lot of younger players or players like Tyus Jones and Melton reps so that they're ready for the playoffs. Because they will play 15, maybe 15, 20 minutes in the playoffs in the right matchup. So it's good reps for these guys, a lot of confidence. And um, honestly, they'll need Jaw to make a deep run. Can we uh, get some love for Jaron Jackson Jr. here as like a potential defensive player of the year candidate? Anything? I mean, the guy's improved so much and he has the capability to be maybe like not overall game, but at least like the ability to be the next like Duncan defensively, but still no loving. Strange. Yeah, I mean, it's just based on the defensive metrics. There's not a lot of metrics that people... I guess really go towards that. I mean, I guess it's more so like defensive metrics that everyone looks at and says, okay, this guy's the guy, right? Most people just look at the team success and be like, okay, Utah has the best defensive rating. Let's give it to Gobert. Whereas if you look at the actual, like, you know, stuff that most people don't look at, um, I think guys like Jaron Jackson, Mikel Bridges, especially like he's been playing every single game, I think for the Suns this year. And yeah. Marcus Smart, 
Um, you got to look at perimeter guys every once in a while too, because the game is changing, obviously. And those guys have played the majority of their team's games and had the most impact. I mean, if Draymond played, he'd probably be the DPOY, but he hasn't. So are they just going to give it to Giannis and Gobert again this year? Or one of those guys? Probably, unfortunately. I hope not Gobert. Footer <laughs> fatigue has to set in sooner or later. Boring. You would think yeah. so. All right, Josh, let's move on to Sats Corner. I got a couple things for you guys this week. Um, so as of a couple of days ago, there are 16 teams currently above 500. Uh, can you name the teams with the best records against those particular teams in terms of per game point differential? So we're talking about teams that are over 500 playing against the other good teams in the NBA since the All-Star break. So this is basically a maximum of eight or nine games in total. So who has the best record as a good team against other good teams since the All-Star break? You know what jo- who are the top three? You know what Josh just did? He just went on whatever stats website he frequents and hits all filters, right? And then comes <laughs> up with this crazy stat. But uh, let, let's try to get this, Josh. Uh, let's try to get this, Peter. Uh, you want to go first? Well, Boston, 100%. Boston is the best at 7-1. and one. Not counting yesterday's game because I didn't uh, look up today's stats. <laughs> but can you guess their point differential during that uh, period of eight uh, games? It's got to be teams? like plus eight, plus nine or something. Raj? Plus 10. Plus 15.4. Wow. They're on a wow. tear, Pretty man. Pretty good. Boston still has one of the worst like clutch records in the, in the, season, in the NBA this season because they're original. Because they started the year so poorly. And they just keep blowing teams yeah, out. Yeah, it makes you wonder. I mean, with them only playing in blowout games since, you know, midway part of the year because they're so damn good, come playoff time when it gets closer, are they going to be used to playing that kind of game? Maybe not. <laughs> hmm So who are number two and three? I'm going to go with the Suns. The Suns are three and three as of a couple days ago. Damn it! What a boot! Uh, what a boot! Hmm. One east, one west. One west, eh? How are the jawless Memphis Grizzlies doing in this list? Uh, they were two and two as of a couple days ago. Uh, Zero point differential, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> hmm. One team is sort of surging in the Western Conference. They can get up to as high as three potentially. So the Mavericks. Correct. Number two, six and three with a negative point differential at point seven. <laughs> Somehow they're six and three, and yet they still have a negative point differential, which is odd. Yeah, they must have. Just killing who they killed, man. And barely beating the other good teams. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one East team, you say? Yes. Is it Mil- they are probably considered the favorite in the East. Milwaukee? Yep, six and three. So can you name the worst three teams now? One of them's obvious. Okay, the Chicago Bulls. They are two and seven, not, uh, minus nine point six point differential, which is by far the worst. Next is a very injury riddled team in the Eastern Conference. Oh, in the East, I was gonna say Portland. 
We're talking about over 500 teams. Here. Good teams. Oh, right. My bad. My bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, over 500. In the East, injury ridden. Let's go with the Cavs. Yes, sir. Correct. Two and six, minus 5.9 point differential. And lastly, a Western Conference team that could potentially get up to four, I believe. The Utah Jazz. No, Utah is three and four, okay. minus three point seven point differential. But you're along the right track. Wait, that could get up to the fourth seed. I believe so. Talking about Denver. Yes. Huh. Denver is two and four, minus five point eight point differential. Yeah, they are uh, struggling. Apparently one of the better strength of schedules, but they just look exhausted out there. Yeah, maybe down the stretch they can rest Jokic a little bit because they have such an easy schedule coming up. But at the same time, they want to get a good seed and get home court advantage, so I think they'll be fine. They'll be like a 4 or 5 seed either way. They'll be playing Utah like every other year. Oh my god, I can't do another Denver-Utah series, man. Those series are fun, though, it's, man. Like, you want rivalries in the NBA. We need this. It's fun when Jamal Murray is out there. But without Jamal Murray, I don't want to see Monte Morris going against Donovan Mitchell. Are you kidding me? Come on, man. Maybe he'll be back by then. Maybe the reports are wrong and they're just laying in the weeds right now with these false reports. I don't think so. I think we see MPJ. Fake news. God, what was that? <laughs> on that note, I'm going to call it here. I want to thank you. Hey, I got one more. I got one more. Hold on. Hold oh, on. Hold on. Hold on. Sorry, Jesus. Last one. Can you name the lowest points per shot allowed as a closest defender? So these are all big guys with a minimum of 500 shots defended. And there's only 169 players that qualify for this. So again, the lowest points per shot allowed as the closest defender. So these are all guys that are contesting shots at the rim this year. Robert Williams. Number one at point nine points per shot. I figure that's why this was brought up. Yeah. Indeed. Hmm. Shame. How about... I'm going to say Gobert. Yes, the next guy is very obvious. Rudy Gobert, 0.93. Next is a guy that was almost out of the NBA and is now a backup for the Los Angeles Clippers. <laughs> Hartenstein? I got Peter on that one. Whoa. Yes. Isaiah Hartenstein, oh. 0.95, taking Serge Ibaka's Wait, spot in rotation. What do you mean he was almost out of the NBA? He was playing in Denver. He was. He was fighting for a spot before the year started with um, that kid from Sacramento who I liked. Uh, he used to be the best high school player in in, uh, in his class. Uh, Harry Giles. Harry Giles, That's yeah. It. They are fighting for that contract, and then he wasn't even guaranteed to start the year. Of course he was fighting to be in the NBA. Nah, man. He would have been picked up by somebody else. Isaiah Hartenstein is a decent backup center. He is now. <laughs> All right. Is that it, or right. is there one more? So next we have uh, another oh. center in the Eastern Conference who has made a massive difference on his team this year. Jared Allen. Correct. 0.95 points per shot allowed. I know my bigs. And last, you would never have guessed this, uh, a big man on Milwaukee. <laughs> Bobby Portis? Really? My goodness. Yes. 0.96. Very odd. He Wait, like have... actually? 
Oh, damn. Surprisingly, I was, yeah. I was yeah, definitely just messing around. <laughs> I think it's the crazy eyes. He just looks at guys and they just miss shots. Wow. They're probably afraid he's going to punch him in the face. Or that. Yeah, you, One of the two. You punch your own teammate. Who knows what you'll do to the opponent? <laughs> My goodness. It's true. Hey, right, can I call it now, Josh? Are we all done here? You gonna yell at me? Hold on, one more. No, you got it. You got it. You got Are you it. sure? I don't want to step on your toes anymore. Yeah, you're good. All right, well, I got you. Good stuff, man. I want to thank everyone for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe on Spotify, on iTunes. Five star reviews, positive comments, please. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Hoops Corner Pod. And until next time, peace.